Welcome along to another episode of the Make Life Work podcast. I am Cy Jobling, at Cy on Twitter, and for this series, I'll be talking to a selection of good friends from around the tech scene about finding time to work on side projects, along with maintaining a healthy lifestyle with full-time jobs. This week, I've invited along a good old friend from the northern town of Halifax, Sam Hardacre. Sam and I met over 10 years ago at another web conference. We continue to see each other through some local geek meetups of the era, and we've hooked up on a number of side projects ever since then, which we'll no doubt talk about. Sam is also an amazing illustrator. He's always my go-to person when I need something commissioning. So it made sense for me to invite Sam along for a chat on this podcast to tell us his story about balancing his work life, home life, and all the side projects he's been all over. Let's get into it. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. It's, it's Friday, so, you know, all, I'm working from home, so it's all good. Didn't have to commute today. Exactly. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm the same as well. I'm making the most of my l- Friday lunch hour talking to you. Yeah. Not hungry at all. <laughs> <laughs> I had a big breakfast, so I'm all right. But you've sorted yourself. You're good. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I get up and usually on a, in the morning I get up with, uh, with the boy and have breakfast first thing. So I eat at, like, 6.30. And then the days I work from home, I get home at like nine o'clock after the school run. And I'm like, ah, oh, I can have breakfast again now because it's, you know, it's just that time. So that kind of sorts me out. Nice. Do you have a nice, big, nutritious breakfast or do you just go for the basic? So in the morning, I have porridge usually. And then I usually follow it up with some toast. So not massively nutritious, really. Enough, though, to keep you going. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to probably talk a bit about lifestyle and family and all that sort of stuff later on. But for the benefit of all the listeners that don't really know who you are, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how about um, a little bit about how you got there as well? Yeah, sure. So my current role is I'm a sort of UX designer, front-end developer for a startup in Leeds. Um, to be on the safe side, I can't really talk about what we're doing because it's kind of a industry-sensitive kind of thing. Not the, not the web industry, it's in the financial industry. Designing and building the front-end of the product that we're looking to launch in the next few weeks. So I've been there since April, I think it was, I started. So I was the first guy there, just basically... It, the brief was like, you know, we've got some branding, but that's about it. So on you go. So I've, I've been having fun building and designing all sorts of um, like user interface stuff, which has been quite fun. Before that, I've kind of dabbled with a bit in design um, as part of my job. But my focus has mainly been just the front end side of things since I started, really. So the way I got into it was by pure chance. So between my first and second year of college when I was 17... I used to go drinking at my local pub, as every 17-year-old used to do, and I, I just happened to make friends with a couple of locals there, and one of them was, uh, she was sort of saying, oh, what are you doing over the summer? And I was like, no idea. And she just went over to her, uh, her other half and went, give him a job. And he went, all right, yeah, come in on Monday. That was easy. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like, that first summer, I was doing shit jobs, you know. I wasn't doing web development. I had no idea what HTML meant. I had absolutely no desire, really, to get into it. So that first summer, I was just basically cold calling clients, doing paperwork and filing and all sorts of shit jobs. But then I sort of started picking up little bits of, you know, maintenance work as I was there, you know, like just a bit of overflow kind of stuff. And then after that, yeah, I got my timetable in my second year of college. And by chance, I just had Fridays off, which was really good and they just said oh do you want to do you want to come in on work on a Friday and then that kind of led to throughout my second year 
I kind of got a bit fed up of college and the way it was working. And when we got to the time of looking towards applying for unis, I was just like, it's not really for me. I have no idea what I want to do at uni. You know, I've, I kind of wanted to be like a bit of a comic illustrator slash animator, but didn't really get much guidance in how you actually get there through uni. So basically, I ended up dropping out of college. And that sort of, that was triggered by the fact that this this agency said, oh, we're looking for a full-time developer. Do you want to apply? And I applied. And then, yeah, about a year later, I was like the, the front end guy because the, the people who were doing it before, they had interest in other areas. So it kind of allowed them to move off into more sort of managerial roles and things. And yeah, I stayed there for like eight years, I think, in total. So I, le- I left there about 2011, I think I left there. And now I've been to a couple of agencies between then and now. Went to work in-house at a, a boiler company based in Leeds last year. And one of the, uh, one of the funny things about that was when I joined the the person who was who was interviewing me was like oh because uh, my, my wife works there uh, I, I joined her department they were like oh it's really good that you've got faith in the company that you put in both family uh, you know the household salaries into one company and I was like yeah yeah it's quite good isn't it and then uh, six months later they had a corporate restructuring like oh uh, we're going to make you redundant oh. <laughs> which was uh, you know a bit of a stressful. I'll say a stressful week because the week after I got this job queued up, it, it was just a pure chance again. You know, I was talking to my my sort of old employer, and he was like, "Oh, so and so is looking for someone like you." <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was quite good. I kind of landed in into this job just through just through knowing people, really. So it's been yeah, so it's quite fortunate, really. A sequence of fortunate events for you, by the sound of it. Yeah, a few misfortunate ones, but yeah, you kind of found your feet through it all yeah yeah it, it seems like you've kind of naturally evolved in your career since dropping out of college almost um yeah summer job bit of part-time work giving up college and then going into that career i guess so yeah yeah i think in the in the in the, the sort of early days when i was learning sort of css and stuff it was that was back when like the web standards and stuff was was all kicking off and and it was really like in terms of like the CSS side of things, everything was still very much up in the air and and stuff was still developing. So there was always like, oh, you know, loads of new stuff to do, to learn and things like that. And I was constantly reading books and things like that. You know, like I said, I started without the intention of going into that. But then as I started getting deeper and deeper into it, I enjoyed it more and more. And uh, and yeah, and I was sort of happy to stay there for 15, 16 years. So now I'm starting to branch off a little bit more. So I'm I'm less interested in the coding side as time goes on. I'm kind of looking to change it up a little bit, which is why this role is good for me because it's, you know, kind of half and half, you know, a bit of UX design and, you know, which is purely on the sort of like the visual side of things and doing like prototyping and all that kind of stuff. And then there's this coding side of things as well, which uh, just kind of evens it out. There's a balance there. So there you go. Oh, I like the the wordplay there. Very good. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that, actually, because I think where I work, you've got a very clear distinction between design and development, you know, two completely different roles. And I think when you get to that scale, because I I work at a a massive company, obviously, and I think when you get to that certain scale, you find a tipping point where you go, we need dedicated people in those worlds because it's just too much to do. Whereas it sounds like you're working in that lovely startup environment right now where you can do a bit of everything. How do you find that balance between the two? Do you, is there, you say it sounds like you prefer the design element a bit more, but you just don't want to let go of the coding element either. Yeah, I think if there was enough work to occupy my time working on design stuff full time, I would probably happily do that. Just so, just as a bit of a change, you know, I've been a front end developer for you know since two thousand three, so 
it's quite a long time to to just be coding stuff and you know for some for some people that that is what they love to do and that's where they want to focus which is great but for me i'm kind of reaching that point where i I just sort of want a bit of a change without fully stepping outside of the of the industry you know i'm not quite at that point yet where i can kind of go "Hmm, let's uh let's think of a complete different career change you know we're not we're not quite there especially with the with the ben on the way it's not really a good idea throwing my uh (laughs) <laughs> throwing my salary away for a, for a career change that that'll come when the kids are older <laughs> you've hinted towards the, the the children element already a few times and the fact that you worked with your wife in the you know your previous company speaking to dom previously as well he worked with his wife mm-hmm, yeah the whole concept is just crazy to me i was like oh i love my wife and she's amazing but i don't think i could work with her as well <laughs> how have you found that and you know tell us a bit about how you've got through that as well well, I mean, we've we've been together for 11 years now and for 90% of that time, we've had like a working relationship. So when she first moved up from London, she went to join one of the clients that I was servicing as part of an agency. So there was always that, you know, sort of like working relationship there. And we've we've kind of, from that point on, we kind of developed a good, basically we sort of set ourselves like some little rules, like you get home, you have a bit of a, if you've had a shit day, you have a bit of a rant. But then that's it. So you don't talk about work all evening. We've just kind of done that ever since. So we've worked at an agency before as well together. So that yeah, we worked together for about two or three years, I think it was. And yeah, it was a similar sort of thing. You know, we we you know we we have we sort of developed this good this ability to split personal and work stuff. If she had to give me any sort of uh, grief for something I'd done wrong at work, or you know, or you've missed, you know, you've missed this part of the brief, can you go back and sort it out? There were none of that kind of, Oof, bloody hell, right? When that, you know, when that kind of goes home, you kind of go, right, that was work. Now we're sort of at home, so let's not worry about it. So it's that nice, healthy boundaries between work and home, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of fell naturally. It wasn't really a discussion we had. We d- we didn't sort of sit down and go, right, at six o'clock, no more work talk. It just kind of you know, we, we just kind of fell into it really. So yeah, it was, it was quite fortunate. It's quite nice that it naturally happened. It didn't, it wasn't got to a point where you go, we keep moaning about work and it's nine o'clock. I just want to watch some TV now. You, you naturally found, found that pattern. Yeah. That's great. I mean, and then you've also talked about the children as well. So you wake up, you spend some time with your, your, your son at the moment, you've got one on the way. How are you finding that balance of like finding time with the family and work? Cause it sounds like you've got quite an intense job as well. I mean, to be honest, uh, when when my son was first born that was around the time i started doing october projects and i kind of bit off more than i could chew i think so i'm I'm, i think i'm sort of now getting to a point now where i'm getting the the balance right previous years for the october projects i've kind of taken on what i think is a manageable project but then when i get into the guts of it it turns out that you know i was like completely underestimating how much work i was undertaking so like last year i decided to do a comic strip basically every day so I was doing like a four panel strip that I was writing. Uh, I think I wrote quite a few of them beforehand, but I was penciling and inking on the same day, which, you know, ended up sometimes I was able to smash it out in like an hour or two, which isn't too bad. But there were other times where it was taking like four hours to do something. I think, you know, last year was was the sort of the last year where where Louisa was sort of like, you might want to revise how you do this a little bit. Uh, because you know she's always she's always been like you you know it's great that you want to do it but I think it has been a bit of a problem when I've been in the middle of it because it's it does become a, a sort of a situation where you you get home especially if you've got a long commute like 
last year I had a, a long commute. I was getting home at like half six, seven o'clock. And then you're doing like a two or three hour stint after you've put the kids to bed. So you sort of, you know, I was finding I wasn't working till eight o'clock and then I'd be finishing and then going straight to bed. So it was like, right, when do, when do we see each other? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll get that. Yeah. So I think I've managed to address that this year in the project I've decided to do, which is a lot more kind of, I can set the project in, in bite-sized chunks. So I'm, I'm able to sort of work within the boundaries of how much time have I got rather than what have I, you know, what tasks do I have to complete today? If that makes sense, you know, rather than last year, it was like, right, I've got to complete an entire strip, which was effectively the same working at the same scale that I'm working at this year on A3 paper. This year, it's been like, right, tonight, I've got half an hour. I can do this one panel that I know will take me half an hour to draw. And then, you know, on a weekend when I've got a couple of hours, so I can tackle one of these big panels that, you know, I can spend a bit of time on. I think that's kind of how I've managed it this time, which is which is working a lot better, I think, because, you know, I get to I get to sort of do the project and also not not sacrifice spending time with the family. Yeah, it's interesting that that word sacrifice you use there as well. I was speaking to Dom the other week. He was telling me the same. You you have to make some sacrifices in life to get those projects that you want to work on. And I'm I'm like you. I've I've always had this problem of overcommitting in side projects and not allowing that capacity to do it with my family time as well. When I was in my, let's go back to probably my 20s when I started doing my other podcast, my music one. At one point, I was producing a show every two weeks for nearly an hour and a half. I had to find all the music for it, which took hours, you know, uh, then produce it, then get it out there, do all the kind of marketing around it. And it was, it was like a full-time job. And I didn't realise how much time it was sucking up. So, you know, I'd get to, I think it would be like Wednesday evening, I'd have to, I'd have to do the recording. And my wife was saying, are you coming to bed with me tonight? Like, no. It sounds horrendous when I play it back to myself now. But she understood that I'd made a commitment. because We had a, like a regular schedule. It was being syndicated on radio stations. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, it's just a bit of fun. There was, a, you know, someone that was consuming this. But there was no financial gain. It was purely for fun to start with. But then it became more of a chore. And I had to realise and go, I can't do this anymore. And it, it, it got to that tipping point to realise... Yeah, you got to, You got to enjoy this. It's not something just for the sake of it, you know. And it sounds like you've you've been through the same with Inktober. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I, had, I had a similar thing a couple of years ago where I did a project with a gallery in New York. So they they contacted me about doing the um, project that they do, where basically what they specialise in like pop culture stuff. So they do like movie poster prints and stuff like that and it's really good it's called bottleneck gallery so I'll, I'll drop a quick pimp there we'll get that on the show notes yeah on their website they basically stick up a, a product page which is this artist is going to do a commission for you you pay the money and then you tell us what you want and then they they go away and do it and they they open it up to like 50 slots or something like that and that was quite good in terms of like the financial side of things because it was you know i was getting paid a lot more per commission than i you know, charged for my own commissions. But even so, like when I was in the middle of that project, we'd we'd have our dinner, and then my son was like, "Right, Dad, you got to go to work." Oh, bless him! I was like, "Oh, yeah, thanks, mate." <laughs> and uh, you know, even though the, even though there was the financial kind of benefit there, there was still the kind of I'm not actually seeing. You know, I'm not able to you know take my take my kid to bed and read him a story and things like that. You know, we we alternate 
most nights so one of us has a bit of time to ourselves on an evening and at that point it, it the month the because it was i was doing it in my free time the project took like three months to complete and that was three months of basically working pretty much every night so you know there was a lot of uh, there was a lot there in terms of you know like louisa having to pick up the slack there and having to do the bedtime routine every single night so yeah so like even though the man, the money was there it was like is it really worth it and i enjoyed doing the project as well it's really good but it's not really sustainable because i was thinking oh maybe i could sort of carry on doing it as like a bit of a freelance gig taking commissions and things like that but I'd, I, in the end i've kind of decided against it you know i can't i need to sort of a i need to work on my own stuff um because i'm, I'm kind of focusing a lot more on what I want to do with with my side project at the minute rather than taking ideas from other people and B you know I just didn't want to have all my time eaten away <laughs> for for the family really yeah I mean how did it make you feel the fact that you know your son said dad you gotta to go to work I mean I've been in similar positions where I was, the, the kids don't they go dad's always at work you know he's never around I only see him at weekends that pains me to hear that yeah i understand there's a reason why i do it but it was that reality check when the kids observe it and tell you it's like oh what are we put on this planet to do work or enjoy our families you know it sounds like you went through similar heartache almost yeah i think so and that and that, that kind of led to a base a, a sort of a drop off in in the sort of the amount of work that i started doing um it's like i say it's only just now where i'm starting to realize oh i can actually achieve something by you know, just breaking it down to, into smaller and smaller chunks. Whereas for years and years, I was I was always in this mindset of, if I can't spend two hours just working on some artwork, then there's no point doing it. <laughs> you know, the, I I can't quite figure out looking back in my head where where I was getting that from. It's like this this idea of you know, if you start a drawing, you've got to finish it in that one session. Otherwise, you know, I'll kind of lose the flow or whatever. You know, some reason. Whereas now I'm sort of like. Ah, oh, sod it. If I, you know, if I leave it half finished, I'll finish it tomorrow, or I'll pick it up next week and finish it, or whatever. So I think that's kind of, it's that's kind of informed where I where I am right now. Yeah, and I think like you, like you say, I think this is a different process to working when when you're doing art, for example. You can break it down into manageable tasks, mm-hmm. but and if you're in the mode, you can't really come out of it. Yeah, that's the problem with being in a creative world. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're working in development or engineering, I'm going to preach my way of working it's like how do you make this a nice manageable small piece of work where's the mvp you don't have really have an mvp with art it's when it's done it's done and you ship it but with your inktober comic panel approach which i've been following you know i love this stuff that you're churning out it's a nice way of compartmentalizing that process you can say it will take me x amount of hours to do one small panel or x amount to do a large panel at the weekend that seems to have worked really well in your favor now this time i think yeah like i say it's it's it has worked really well and i think going forward i'll probably do it because i enjoy doing the inktober project um this will be my fifth year doing it and i want to carry on doing it every year and i think this is this might be the key because it's it is allowing me to do something it's allowing me to do something productive so at the end of this month i might not have a full book finished but i'll have I reached the halfway point yesterday, um, but it's kind of given me the the drive now to sort of right. I've I've got half finished. Let's get the other half finished, and then I can smash it out. But then taking it forward, I can just work in the same way. So I can just chip away at bits of scripting and stuff on my lunch hour or whenever. And then when it comes to doing the artwork, I can just chip away at that. When I've got a spare half an hour, I can just sort of well, right. That's that's 
some characters are drawn, I'll do the backgrounds tomorrow. So I think it's worked out pretty well in that regard. Seems that way. But yeah, because like, you know, this month I've been able to do the project and also see my family, see my son and all that kind of stuff. And obviously with, with the second one on the way, next year is going to be pretty full on. I've, I'm sort of trying to mentally prepare myself, but let's face it, you never, you never quite know what it's going to be like. No. But I think, like you have with Inktober, you've learned from previous years how to manage that better, and you seem to have got into a better place in the fifth year. And the same with kids. You know, you've had one. You know what works and what doesn't work, and you will find it easier. I'll tell you from the voice of experience, the second child is definitely a little bit easier because you know what you can and should do. Um, it's never perfect, don't get me right, and you don't know how they're going to behave, especially at night times. And I think, like you say, you, you've planned that now. You know next year, I'm not going to commit to anything. There's no point. It sounds like you've got a good, healthy balance with the family now anyway and work and side projects and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, I think so. It also helps for, you know, having, having a, a wife who doesn't sort of give me shit for it. She's never like... Oh, you must spend time with us this evening. Blah, blah, blah. You know, she, you know, she understands that I want to do this, and she'll just sort of give me a bit of. I think it comes from the the sort of the work relationship. Really, she's not got the personality to sort of just stamp her feet and go. You must listen to me. You know, she'll just sort of give me a, a sort of a maybe, maybe try. You know, maybe try looking at it from this angle, and you kind of go, all oh, right, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, that's a good point. I think men could learn a lot from women. <laughs> Can persuade persuasive tactics yeah yeah so i think that's that's helped as well in the fact that i i feel like i can do the project but i'm getting a bit of feedback to know how it's going on the other side so that i can adjust it's good that she appreciates it's your side it's a hobby it's not just it's not work it's not like a chore it's just that's your escapism as well you you like to go and get on your light box do some doodling and some ink for an hour or so that's your downtime effectively right you know it's it's just beneficial that you've got a goal at the end of it as well yeah yeah i mean i don't it's not really about you, your wife but has she got any hobbies that you kind of go yeah i'll give you your time to do that as well she's got some interest in various in various sort of crafts and stuff like that but she she doesn't really devote much time to them at the minute we're kind of eight weeks away from having a new baby so you know as you'd expect she's now thinking you know when i get a bit of downtime i'm gonna sleep or go have a bath or just chill out you know, but um, she hasn't studied like calligraphy or anything like that, but she messes around with it. And, and I, I think she's really good at it. And with a bit of a bit of practice and stuff like that, I think that might be uh, that might be something that would be quite good for her to look at. I was going to say, it's nice you've got a shared passion, actually, of like, you know, real physical art crafts and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's eventually when when we get into a, a decent sized house hopefully we'll get like a bit of an office space where we can have a bit of a shared den where we can we can both have our art, art stuff out and and whatnot whereas at the minute it's it's just where wherever we can work i know i know we i mean we're quite lucky we've got quite a large i say large it's, it's a big space i mean not you, you can see we're in the studio here yeah we don't use it very well but the kids are getting to that age now at my two they've i've got one who's literally just turned 13 and a seven-year-old she's so creative she loves just making crafty stuff and my wife being an art teacher background she's she fully embraces that and she's like yeah yeah just make 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 it's great i'm more of a geek digital guy so i'm like nurturing my son's geekiness as well saying why don't you record a podcast or a video thing oh no but you know it's nice that we've both got this sort of creative mindset we appreciate each other's passions in a way so when I say to my wife, look, I'm recording a podcast tonight. Are you okay? She's like, yeah, yeah, you, you do. You've got to do. Um, it sounds like Luke, your wife is in the same position now as well. Yeah, yeah. 
We've talked a lot about um, your working days, your family habits, the side projects as well. So I think it's worth going back maybe five, maybe even 10, even 15 years when we started doing some stuff together. Possibly, yeah. I'm trying to rewind to the time we met. Was it was it 2006 or seven or something like that? So the first conf I ever went to was at Media 2007. I reckon it was at Media then where we met. It might have been. It might have been Future Web Design the year after. Oh, it could have been that one actually. Yeah, I think we you know we sort of chatted online and stuff because we've been friends on Twitter since 2006, possibly. So it's a long time. It is, and I'm just. I mean, I've recently been reminiscing a lot about the old days of the internet. We've we've been talking about Flash, how it's kind of going out of fashion and pretty much going to die next year. You mentioned earlier about the CSS movement and the Web Standards era of all that. You know, the noughties. What do you think is your most memorable moment, I guess, and what, what what do you miss? Oh God, it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, for all for all the benefits that's come with responsive web design, there are times where I just think, oh Jesus, I wish I could just write some code once and just have it display on a desktop, and it's like, right, I'm done. <laughs> and I, I look back now, and I sort of go. Jesus, it was so much easier 10 years ago when you just had to build a website once. Two browsers. Yeah, you had to check it in a few browsers. You had to, you know, you had some, um, you know, you had to pull your hair out with IE6 and stuff like that. But, you know, maybe not 10 years ago, perhaps maybe a bit longer, a bit further back. But, um, but yeah, like looking back, I was like, oh my God. I, I remember some projects where it took me like a month to build a website and I'm like, God, that'd take me, you know, a couple of days now just to do that one brief. So there are times where I just sort of think, yeah, wish I could just get away with that. But obviously, you know, these are the, these are the times now. They are. For anyone who wants to get into the tech industry, doing what you do, front-end development and design, what would be your number one tip, do you think? I'd probably say learn the basics, learn the fundamentals. How far back are you going with fundamentals then? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as saying like ignore SaaS and things like that, but I would start with you know, learning about web standards and stuff like that, how to structure HTML properly and things like that. Don't just dive straight into React and things like that because, you know, I've, I've been dabbling with React recently. I can see where, where sort of poor practices might start to come in, especially when you start delving into, you know, applying inline styles to components and things like that. So I, w- I would sort of say, you know, focus on that, focus on getting the structure right and then how you can apply that, how you can apply the visuals with CSS and you know basically learning about semantics and things like that and trying to maintain some of that it's kind of difficult these days when it comes to yeah i suppose like component-based development where the the old semantics arguments are slightly changing so you know it, the the argument 10 years ago used to be you know the class name should describe what it is not what it does whereas now we're switching to component-based stuff there's there are some instances, depending on who, whose kind of advice you take, where that kind of flips on its side a little bit. So you, you do have classes that describe how the thing should be presented rather than what it is. As you, as you kind of abstract stuff out, I don't have a personal sort of gripe against anyone's kind of thing. My, my opinion is whatever works for you. I've worked in places where you have to do stuff a certain way. It's like, right, well... That's that's just the nature of the beast, unfortunately. So yeah, it's 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 quite tricky. I, I don't think I'd want to get into the industry now as a beginner, because there's just so much stuff and there are so many different things you have to get your head round, and also so many different ways of developing. So like you know, ten years ago there wasn't really many variations of developing 
front-end websites, you know, it was like, here's the best practice of class naming systems, here's the, here's the best practice of structuring a HTML document, and here's perhaps a couple of variations on how you might structure your CSS file, but that was it. Whereas these days, it's like, there's so much, so much variation nowadays that I think if I was a beginner, my head would explode trying to figure out which way was the right way. And I don't think there is a right way, to be honest. Well, yeah, I think that's probably right. So I'd, I'd probably give that advice as well to a, to a beginner. Like, you know, don't worry about what's right and wrong. Figure out what you're trying to achieve. And then I think over time you slowly figure out, you know, you'll you'll build something one way and then six months later you'll read a blog post that will be a better way of building what you've, or, you know, structuring how you've built something before. So you kind of either, if you've got time, go back and refactor it so you're making improvements or you'll just kind of remember that for the next time you need to build something of a similar feature. Yep, completely agree with that sentiment. Learn from your mistakes and uh, keep pushing yourself as well. So I think what you're saying is, you know, go back to basics, learn the foundations of what the web was built on rather than jumping into a framework and you know, understand why we do these things. It's probably a fair way of putting it. Yeah. And w- would you suggest from your personal experience, now that the industry is quite wide, you know, there's so many ways of doing this and, You've got a lot of experts in different areas. Would you say you've benefited from focusing on purely on the design and front-end element, or do you think you could have learned more by going into you know, the back-end stuff, the databases, performance, DevOps? It'd be quite difficult for me to say for certain because I've never really had an interest in that kind of stuff. Um, I, I honestly don't think my head's wired for that kind of stuff. I understand the basic concepts of JavaScript and things like that, and I'm getting my head around React at the minute. But... Yeah, throw me into the middle of like a a full React project and I will go, what the hell? And I'll, I'll sort of struggle a little bit with that, I think. Yeah, it'd be quite difficult for me to say. I, I guess I would say, you know, gravitate to what you feel some attraction to. If like, like me, you're a bit more visual, you might want to dabble first in CSS and learning how to apply visual styles to, to a web page and then see where it goes. You know, so some people might start out designing and then start asking questions about, oh, well, how do you go about building that? Uh, and then once you once you get into the front end side of things, people might go, well, so I've got this page full of this data that's been pulled in from an API. How does that work? So if, if that's where you sort of feel yourself being pulled by your own interest, then I would say follow that. Follow your heart and what, what, what you enjoy, basically, what you, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I guess it's slightly limiting in, this, in a sense that if you if you sort of double down on, html and css you might sort of wall yourself in slightly which is what i've i've found recently where i'm i'm sort of having to break out of that a little bit by delving more into react and things like that which has come at the minute it's come out of necessity because i work for us i work for a small company with you know there's a team of four we've got two back-end developers who are busy doing the back end and there's me and the boss who are both sort of front-end type of people but he's off being the boss so he's off doing you know, striking deals and all this kind of stuff for, for when we launch. He's kind of left it to me to kind of go, right, let's pick up the reins and try and get some React built. I guess what I'm trying to say is try and follow your heart, but sometimes you'll be, you'll be tugged a little bit in a direction that you don't feel naturally compelled to go yourself, but, you know, maybe give it a go and see. Give it a go. I like that. Yeah, because I'm like, I'm like you. I, I, I have a natural tendency to fall towards the front end of web development. Um, I've been doing similar sort of time frames to you, nearly 20 years. 
but only recently I sort of moved away from the front end. I've kind of focused on the back end API services and what it takes to build that. So I'm diving into Kubernetes, I'm doing, talking about Cosmos DBs and network configuration SDKs. Well, Jesus Christ, it's pushed me out of my comfort zone, but in a good way. Because now I'm starting to understand what all these complexities can be. And I can see why you've got teams of people looking at this stuff. So you've completely lost me with all that stuff already. Exactly. But I think I got, became complacent with the front end stuff. I was just like, yeah, I'll get it. I'm, I don't understand the detail, but I can understand what they're talking about. And I know what you should look at. Going into a completely different world. It's, it's healthy to do that sometimes and then realize... Yeah, I'm good at that front end stuff. I want to stick there, or actually, I prefer this now, and or I like the, the the overall look of what's going on now. So, if anyone's listening and going, how do I get into this? Going, don't be intimidated, but follow your heart. I think is there's a lot of big stuff to go into, and you can, you'll find rabbit holes that give you a bit of interest. But you can always back out and go back to what you prefer anyway. But we've talked a lot about work, tech, design, and all that sort of stuff. What do you do to relax? And, you know, how do you find that time for that as well? So generally speaking at the minute, our downtime uh, involves just putting the kid to bed and then, uh, and then just going, right, should we, should we go to bed and watch something on TV? So we, you know, we generally just plough through stuff on iPlayer or something like that. Yeah, we, we generally sort of gravitate towards like documentaries and things like that. Okay. Any specific ones that have caught your attention lately? Um, what's it called? It's about like uh, the justice system. It's called Catching Britain's Killers. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's a three-part series, and it talk it sort of focuses on different areas of like uh, crime investigation and things like that, and highlights areas in the past where you know some people have been convicted of something where when they shouldn't have been, and how how the systems changed since and things like that. So it's quite a good one to watch. And then what about health? I mean, we've talked a lot about you know consumption and entertainment and stuff like that do, do you find time to do anything fitness wise or struggling <laughs> i think most people do to be fair don't they yeah so i joined a gym recently um and i've not been for about three weeks so like, I, I just sort of had this idea like oh when when i work from home i'll take a long lunch go to the gym it's sorted but then life gets in the way you know you just you struggle to actually uh, get away from the house and and get there and it doesn't help that, you know, the gym is in the middle of town. You have to go and park up. You have to find a parking space. And then you have to walk to the gym before you even get there. You know, and it's like, before you've even got there, you've, you've already spent like 20 minutes. So when, once, I'm, once I'm there, I'm like, right, I don't want to take the piss. So I, I can't stay here for a full hour or so. So what can I get done in half an hour? And then you just sort of go, hmm, is, there, is there much benefit to that? On the flip side, going in the evening just does not work for me at all. I, I tried it a few weeks ago and I went at like half past eight and I was just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not asked at all to do this. Too tired. Yeah. So I need to sort of, I need to figure it out. The weather doesn't help at the minute, but last year I did catch the 5k and I got myself up to doing about 15k a week, which was quite good. Um, but then I got really bad cold and then that just killed it. So by the time I came out of that, it, the weather was turning like it is now. And then I was just like, mm, don't really fancy going out and running when it's raining. So I'll uh, I'll just sort of, um, I'll knock it on the head and pick it up again next summer. And then that just didn't happen. So yeah, that's that's on my to-do list. Yeah, it sounds like you've got the similar, the same old behaviours that everyone struggles with. It's finding that motivation to do it and 
the time. I mean, I, I'm quite lucky in a sense. We've got on-site gym in the office, so I can use that in quiet times. And as you mentioned, like when you work from home, it's really hard to get up off your ass and do something. So this week, for example, I've made sure that I've gone for a run before I even start work. Uh, I managed to fit in 4K, you know, in the morning just to do something. So, but it's a, it's a really hard discipline. And I think what, to be fair, what I've done, I've cheated a little bit. I started a competition on the Apple activity rings thing with Dom Hodgson for this week. And I'm, I'm trying to beat him. He's impossible to beat. He's pushed me to try and get out a bit more and do a bit more than I would normally. But it's not sustainable. And I think... It, I'm, I've got to that point in my life. I'm, you know, nearly approaching forty. I don't want to be the fat, lazy git that I was in my twenties. I, I realise my body, you know, it will age. So I'm, I'm just trying to keep on top of it now. But I know what you mean. You got family life. You got jobs. You got, you know, long days and all the fun things you want to do. It's hard. It is. It is. And I, I sort of I need to figure it out because I'm I'm sort of similar. You know, I'm I, I'm sort of you know I just turned thirty four and I'm thinking right. I'm, I'm sort of at the point where I've, I've got away with not doing exercise in my 20s so I, I need to sort of get that side of things sorted before I hit 40 and then once hopefully once I'm, once I've once I've got to 40 and I've got a good fitness regime I'll just carry on doing it and then I'll be I'll be relatively okay going forward but we'll see we'll see when I actually get that nailed one day right so what's the next goal for you you've always got baby coming you've got a nice job Inktober's in the progress is there anything you've got focused on for the next six months Nothing specific. So uh, obviously, my my main focus from a side project perspective is to get this comic finished and then eventually published. So I don't know, don't quite know what I'm going to do with that yet. I approached a publisher, a local Leeds-based publisher, earlier this week, but uh, I've not heard back yet. So we'll see what comes of that. If nothing comes of that, I'll figure out a way of publishing it. Whether I do a Kickstarter or whether I just fund it, fund a print run and see how that goes, we'll we'll figure that out at some point. But then, I've got a few comic ideas already in my head and some of them I've started scripting you know over the last few years I've started you know working on ideas that just need padding out and and working out really so I think that's where I want to stick stick around you know people keep people ask me oh do you do commissions and stuff and it's like well I, I, I have done in the past but at the minute I'm more interested in trying to get what I want to get done you know I've I've been toying with doing comics for years and just fighting about putting it off and getting stuck doing commissions and stuff like that and then I kind of go, right, well, now I've done a big load of commissions, I want to take a break. And then when I come down to sitting down to do the comics, it's like, right, something else will come along, right, I need to do that. So I think I think at the minute is focusing on setting aside the time and the uh, the energy to say, right, um, any side project time, it's going to be on this comic, just to try and get something out of the door, really. The ultimate end goal is you get that comic printed and people buying it, ideally. Ideally. But for you, you've got satisfaction of, I've made that, it's printed, yep. and I've made that, and it's, it's a satisfaction, I guess, from doing that. Yeah, I think, it sounds a bit weird, but the desire seems to have been born out of having children. Yeah. So, you know, you sort of think, you know, when I'm, when I'm older, what have I got to show for the time that I've spent? And when it comes to the web, it's like absolutely naff all really <laughs> oh, don't say that <laughs> i mean in the sense that it's so intangible you know like stuff that i built you know 10 years ago you, you probably can't find it anymore apart from maybe on the wayback machine but but you know what i mean there's nothing there's nothing there whereas you know if i've got a bunch of comic book pages and some printed comic books it's like right here's here's what i've managed to do 
And I guess it's also an aspect of thinking thinking longer term, because obviously I've only got a five-year-old at the minute and you don't really have to worry about, you know, egging him on to actually get some work done because he's, he's, he's in that phase of school is really, really exciting and it's new and, you know, he wants to go to school every day. But I guess there's also the aspect of, you know, just trying to push yourself to achieve something just off your own back and for your own sort of satisfaction, I guess. Yeah. Like you know, I don't need to do it. There's no, there's no real, you know. I, I don't expect to have any sort of financial benefit from doing this. It's certainly not going to be, you know, equivalent to the amount of time that's been spent working on it. And I think that's a, that's just a common thing in in comics, especially if you're sort of like an indie comic creator. It's more about sort of, I don't know, garnering the value out of the the process and the the you know having something to sort of show for it again as well. You know, just getting the enjoyment out of that, I guess. Yeah, fair point. I like the idea of it. You're having a legacy that's not online. I think I fell into the trap of all my productions and creations are online and they die. You know, eventually they will die. I've got a flash game. I was talking about flash earlier. I've got a flash game I built for university back in 2002 or three. That's going to die next year. And I'm like, it was one of my finest moments, one of my proudest moments, right? And it just it won't last. So. I might need to find uh, something that I can actually print and create that is not just online or digital. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things, like, I know a lot of people work digitally nowadays, like, you know, with iPads and stuff. There are a lot of people who work purely on iPads, and I would love to try it, but there's also that aspect of, you know, I don't I don't need anything other than some paper and some ink to do what I, you know, to, to achieve what I need to achieve right now. Obviously, there's a bit of a there's a bit of digital sort of manipulation later on down the line in the process to put it into a book, but to actually get the work out of my head, I don't need anything else, and it's relatively cheap. You know, like an iPad and a pencil cost me God knows how many hundreds of pounds, whereas the setup I've got now costs twenty quid, and it's like there you go, job done. Nice, and it's it's setting a nice precedence for the kids as well. To say you don't need all the tech and gadgets to make things anymore. Go back to basics and really enjoy it yeah i mean we've we kind of we've been quite fortunate in the we've we've not been like completely anti devices and things like that and you know like he does sit and watch stuff on netflix on the tv and whatnot but we don't really we don't regularly anyway just sort of say here's a phone to occupy yourself with you know we might do it occasionally like if if we're in like the the hairdressers or something to keep him quiet and keep him out of people's way he'll sit and play the cbb's game or something for for half an hour but that's right it you know when he's at home he doesn't just sort of get a device so we kind of we kind of try to put that off a little bit so like you know there've been times where Lou said oh should we get him um, should we get one of those things for you, for the car that you can sit an iPad off the back of so you can just sit and watch films and I'm like the longer we can go without him realizing that that's a thing i think is a benefit you know we've we've got through the years of traveling down to kent which sometimes can be like an eight hour journey like on a good day it's we've done it in four and a half i think in in the past or maybe five but the first time we took him down to see his to see his nan it took us like 10 hours because he got stuck in traffic so we've we've gone through like the first three years of not being able to explain to him you know it's a long journey you've you you know you can chat and stuff but you've got to just sit still and deal with it We've we've got him into that thing, so he, he now knows when we go to Nan's house. You know, it's just that's just the way it is. It's a long journey. You can sit and chat, or you can sleep. That's his option. So the longer we can get away with not saying, "Here's an iPad to to watch films for for three hours," we're we're going to try and keep that as 
as long as we can. Good parenting. Well done. You're doing better than me. That's not to say that, you know, I sort of go, oh, I disagree with people giving the kids iPads and stuff. You know, every kid's different. Yeah, exactly. If we had a kid who screamed all day long, I can totally understand why some people go, right, if that keeps them quiet, then let them have it. You do have times where you just sort of, you, you do just have to do anything you can to get that kid to be quiet for a bit, even if it's, you know, getting them to nap or whatever. It's like, right, we'll give them some milk, we'll put a film on, and they can, they can watch that till he falls asleep. You know, some people will probably go, well, you shouldn't really do that. But again, it's whatever works. I don't say we we don't give him the iPad out of any sort of judgment of people who do. You know, it's it's. You know, I just wanted to sort of caveat that in case someone thought I was judging. <laughs> That's fine. Good stuff. Right, I think we've uh, exhausted all the topics I wanted to go through. Um, how do people get hold of you and see what you're up to nowadays? Were there any projects you want to push out there? So I guess I'm always pushing the uh, the the inktober project while i'm doing it especially uh so that is over on my art account which is skinny drawn boy uh, which is on twitter and instagram and my usual twitter is nocturnal monkey and i'm basically nocturnal monkey basically anywhere so if, if you google my name i'll probably come up top and uh you'll find me somewhere there that's the, that's the split anything art related is skinny drawn boy anything else is uh, you know, not tell a monkey. So it's web based or personal based. So at the minute, my Twitter account is lots of retweeting political stuff. So <laughs> you might you might not like that, but you know, it's fine. We all have a voice. It's fine. Good stuff, matey. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. Yeah, it's been good to have a catch up. Wonderful to hear your stories, and it's great. Yeah, great to catch up properly as well, rather than just tweets here and there. Yeah, because I, I was thinking, I was, I was wondering when was the last time we actually was in the same room. It might have been the first NACONF. Oh, God, yeah. So what was that, 2011, 2012? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I need to try and get my ticket for that. I'm struggling at the moment to find the time. Yeah. See, I, I can't go to... Well, I, I might be able to go to the next one if I can have a ticket, but because of the newborn, you know, it's probably not a good idea disappearing with a, with a month-old baby at home, you know. Not ideal. No, no. So I think this year I'll start, I'll sit it out. I, I managed to go last year, or the you know in January, and that was that was awesome. That was really good. It was a welcome welcome return. I think it was good to see Collie, and it was good to see a lot of a, a lot of people from you know other conferences. There were loads of new faces, people I didn't know, but there were quite a few people who I did know. So it was good to you know, as every conference, it's good to have a catch up with your mates over a beer. Definitely, completely advocate that. And yeah, shout out to. Uh... Simon Collison on the new next new adventures and we'll put details in the show notes for anyone who wants to go along to that well as I say pleasure mate and thanks for joining us no worries thank you very much for having me thank you to everyone for listening and especially Sam for joining me for this episode of the make life work podcast if you'd like to reach out to Sam you can get him as at nocturnal monkey for all his personal stuff or at skinny drawn boy for his illustration work as we discussed, there's also our on-the-side community where we, you can join myself, Sam and a few other people to talk about side projects. I will be inviting other members of the on-the-side community over to the podcast to talk about their stories in some upcoming episodes of this podcast. Follow along with me at sidejobling.com slash makelifework or at Sci on Twitter. If you're listening in your favourite podcast app, please give us a rating and review. Get in touch by email, sci at jobling.com or on the socials. That's all from me. Join me next time when I'll be having a chat with another side project advocate 
Rachel Shilcock. 